Here we go. Rejecting the screen. The going ISO edition as we do every Thursday. Noah Kozlov out here on the East Coast. Adam Stanko is out West. Our guest today, Anthony Morrow. Nine years in the league, nine teams after spending four years at Georgia Tech. A career 41.7% three-point shooter, which is 15th all-time in the NBA. He was a North Carolina Mr. Basketball back in 2004. We're going to get to all of that in the time that we have, Amo. But let's start with what's been going on recently. Kevin Durant, again, talking about his time in Oklahoma City and saying that one of the reasons he left was he was tired of taking all the shots. They didn't have three-point shooters. (laughs) How are you responding to all this? I'm not really – I'm not as concerned as, you know, other people – you know, people going back and forth with him. I'm not as concerned. I just saw it, and I saw some people retweeting it with, like, some stats and some numbers, so I just retweeted everything they put me in, kind of being petty. But, I mean, not, I mean, actually, I wasn't being petty. I was just, like, you know, people kept asking me about it. So I started, like, just retweeting the, the real stats. But I don't know. I mean, I don't know. You know it's KD, so I don't know where he's coming from. We never really know where he's coming from when he get on these little rants or what causes him, you know. But, I mean, I'm close to him, so I look at it like this is just how he is. But with everybody asking me asking me about it, everybody was at me and mentioning me. So I just said, okay, let me just retweet and show people. This is actually what was going on. You know what I'm saying? Like, he can say anything he wants to say in the moment. I don't know what caused it, but – I mean, I'm like, the number's not going to lie. You know, we had playmakers all over the place. You know, Dion, of course, Russ. Um, Ennis is a skilled guy. You know, he can score down low on anybody. Uh, Steven Adams is a skilled guy, but he was more of a defender and a bruiser. But, I mean, we were up 3-1 on a, on a team that, you know, won 73 games that had swept us that year in the regular season. You don't go up 3-1 in the Western Conference Finals without – some guys that can make some shots, some guys that can make some plays other than him and Russ. You know, I mean, it's a team. It's a, it was a team effort. Like, you know, I don't – I didn't think that was fair for him to to do that. You know, I ain't really like that part of it. He's still my guy. I love him. I just didn't like that. You know, I didn't really like that. It was out of nowhere. Like, I had to take all the shots. I had to make the threes. I had to, you know. So it wasn't even so much about me. I was like, I can just post these stats to show – people you know that that's that with me i'm not tripping but for everybody else it wasn't fair man because we had a lot of blood sweat and tears that year and went through a lot you know what i'm saying so i just didn't like that he shit on the team like that that wasn't cool to me anthony you say you you guys are, are friends you were teammates but you also it's sort of you you explain it almost as like that's kd so for those yeah. of us that haven't played with him how how do you summarize what it is like to to play with KD to be his teammate and is it mood swings what whatever the deal is uh, how do you explain KD to people that don't don't know him really well? I mean, he's a great teammate. Like, I mean, it's no, it's not like this is going to come up during the season. It's not like it's it's not like <clears throat> excuse me, it's not like he, this kind of issue is going to come up during the season. It'll be afterwards or something. And it's like, yo, where did it come from? Like, what's up? You know what I'm saying? Like, why you say that? Like, I, you have my number. Like, would you not thinking before you said that? You know, it'll be something like that. But as a teammate, he's great. Like, I'm probably close. I'm, he's one of the 
you know, as far as NBA guys, one of the closer NBA friends that I have, like off the, you know, off the court. But I mean, he was great. You know, obviously he's a little more, like a little more up and down. You know, when it comes to just his emotions. You know, but I never really saw that as a problem. You know, and as a teammate, you know, we were able to deal with that. You know, as a team. You know, just the guys on the team, like not even including the coaches or anything like that. We were able to deal with that. You know, it wasn't like it was going to mess the team up or shred the team up. We just knew that's how, that's how he was. It's just that now it's like it's even worse. You know what I'm saying? I guess like I guess mm-hmm. I, and I, I always because people always ask me like, "What?" Well, I'm like, "Man, that's like my brother. Like I love him." Man. But yeah, he is emotional like that. You know, and I think for me personally, I think it's just because he ain't played and. I mean, you got a lot of time on your hands, and K a real low-key dude. He can spend all day on his phone. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, it's not <laughs> like you rehab. You can only rehab so many hours out of the day. Then you and your, your, your mansion with, you know, and you just like, look, I ain't got nothing else to do. And everybody deal with that idle time differently. So I think that's the main thing. But he's great as a teammate, man. I mean, I mean, I had no issues with him. It's just this kind of out of the blue shit is like, yo, come on, man. Like now you bringing in the whole team wasn't good enough. Like, come on, bro. Like, you know, so I, I mean, I, I'm not trying to, I'm I'm not just speaking for myself. Like I'm looking at guys like these guys that really contributed to us almost get to the, to the, to the championship, to the finals. You know, I just didn't think that was fair to everybody. Yeah. We've had Earl Watson on PJ Carlissimo and, and they've both, you know, PJ coached him, Earl played with him, both spoke so highly of him, KD, as a person. But it seems like 3-1 always comes up. How much time yeah. have you spent since losing that lead, not getting to the NBA Finals, how much time have you spent thinking about that since it happened in 16? I mean, not as much now, obviously, but, I mean, I would say I probably think about that like once a week since that happened. You know what I'm huh. saying? But, but I mean, it's just because that's the furthest I ever been, you know, on a on a on a playoff team in the in the NBA. You know, mm-hmm. and we really felt like we could win. We would have if we could have got to you know to the finals. We really felt like we had a chance to really win the final. But um, you know, I mean, it it's something that all it was fun, but it's bittersweet just because you get that far and you almost make history by knocking off a team that made history. And then, you know, to lose like that, it was, it was kind of, it was crushing, but I mean, everybody put in work, man. That was the most focused, fun, intense, locked in like brand of basketball I've ever been a part of. And it brought us all close. That was the main thing. Like we were tight knit, like everybody from top to bottom. Most teams you got you kind of got clicks, you know. And we still had like, like our little clicks, but overall it was us, and that was it. You know what I'm saying? It was it was like that kind of feeling, and it was a good feeling, you know. So, um, like I said, KD is my brother. I love him. Smart. I mean, he's calculated. He's just one of those guys that don't. He put his emotions on his shoulder. He don't care. You know, like I don't, I look at this stuff and I think it's funny when he says I'm keeping the burner account. I'm like, that's funny as hell to me, you know, because <laughs> he's like, I don't care no more. You know what I'm saying? So I'm like, nobody, everybody's like, man, why? Like, I, I'll go 
to a lounge with my friends or a dinner with my, my, my homies and they'll watch the news and be like, hey man, what, what's going on, man? Why you want to keep the burner? Like, they mad. I'm like, why are you mad? That man <laughs> making $150 million. I don't care what he do. Yeah. He's my teammate. I'm like, look, as long as he's healthy and he's fine, he can have as many burner accounts as he wants. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like, he's going to lead us to the playoffs. So I'm like, it just depends on how you look at it, man. Like, people get so riled up over that. And I don't think it's a – I don't care. It's just, you know, what you put out, you're going to have to be able to take. So, you know, when him and Perk got into it, you know what I'm saying? I thank God that they squashed that, obviously. It wasn't no beef or nothing, nothing to squash, but they, you know, they got over it. But when when him and Perk got into it, you know, Perk's like, look, man, like, I'm not going to sit here and let you do that. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm going to see. And he knows how Perk is. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So – it's not no back and forth with me. I didn't take any offense. I just said, I looked at my mentions and it was like 16 straight mentions of like, yo, you shot like 41% in OKC. Why you say you? So I was like, all right, let me just retweet all this. See what happens. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, yeah, of course. Line. Anthony, we'll get to some some more positive stuff, I, I promise you, as as we go along. But but it, it's interesting you bring that that up, um, the idea that you you mentioned it once a week. I'm curious because I don't think we ever talk about that summer as much. I mean, we talk about the fact that KD left, but the impact it had on all you guys. So, so you guys lose the the series, obviously, um, and then of course everything happens to to the Warriors as they go on to the NBA Finals. But uh, that summer for you, after coming off the loss, and then KD leaves, for you guys on the team, like what what was going on that summer? How was that summer for you? Uh, I mean, the summer was, I, in, in my opinion, the summer was cool. Like it wasn't, it didn't affect people's summer. I don't think like after about a week of like shock, I think it started settling in, you know, for me, when I saw him with the, with the Golden State Jersey, I was like, well, that's it. You know? And I text him, I said, look, man, the, the day he signed, I text him, I said, look, I said, man, look, you my brother forever, regardless. You know, I said, man, whatever makes you happy, makes you happy. You know what I'm saying? And that was a tough text because we had just went through the trenches. Like, we were in the trenches against them, uh, like, you know, three months before that or whatever, a month a month and a half before that. So it was hard to text them that, but you got to – I looked at everything that was bigger than just basketball. Like, my kids love him. You know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. like my family loves him. Like, it's not like this is just a guy that, he, you know, I, I, it, it was just different. I started thinking about outside of basketball. From a basketball standpoint, that was a tough text to see. You know what I mean? But overall, I mean, I was like, man, look, in the real light, in the big scheme of things, like, this is going to be my brother. Like, I'm not tripping on that. Like, not to, the, not to the extent that the fans were, but the fans don't know him like I know him. And like how we knew him as a teammate. So after about a week or two, it's like, all right, it is what it is. You start turning it into fuel. You start back working out, thinking about, you know, matching up with the Warriors and, and him. And you start getting more competitive. We're naturally competitive athletes. So we kind of start turning that, that confusion and anger into fuel so that we can get ready for the season. And you saw what kind of season Russ had when he came back, you know, and you know, it is what it is, man. Um, you know, it was it was it was crazy, but at the same time, it's basketball. I can't. I, I sit here 
and I'm always for the players, obviously, and I like player mobility. I like players being able to control their own destiny. But I can't go against that now that my teammate <laughs> left and went to another team. Mm-hmm. You know Great what I'm point. saying? Great point. Yeah, so I can't I, – I, you can't have it both ways if you're looking at it from a player standpoint, you you for the players, and you got to keep that same energy when you – when your team may leave and go to a team and wins two championships. So, but are you, but are you all for, but are you all for what Draymond did all season trying to pull KD towards the Warriors? I mean, I mean, it's not illegal. Like if, if, well, sure, sure. Not, not illegal. Not cool. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, but at the same time, like, Draymond is going to find any type of edge to get him over there. And he knew he has, he knew he was in his ear to some extent for him to be able to get him to come over. He he knew he said, I knew in his mind, he had to know I have at least a part of him listening to me right now. And I'm just going to work on him. Draymond is, in my opinion, brilliant, you know, in, in terms of, in terms of, you know, how he got Katie to leave, you know, basketball IQ on the court, obviously, but the way he did that all year, they already had a relationship. They were cool already. I mean, he just stayed in his ear. He probably knew when to call him. If he was upset, like just little stuff like that. I don't know what I'm just saying. He probably knew the buttons to push. You know what I'm saying? If I had LeBron's number and I was cool with LeBron like that and he was thinking about leaving and I knew it, I would be on his line. I would be on his line once, twice a week trying to get him to come to whatever team I was on. So, I mean, he got an advantage in that in that regard. I can't – I mean, it's almost like the art of war. You can't get mad at that. Huh? Right, I, I, I get it. But at the same time, were you guys thinking that you – know, you, you said that, that Draymond knows that KD is thinking about leaving. Did you guys know as teammates that KD was thinking about leaving? Nah, it wasn't, no, it wasn't even, it wasn't even a conversation. You know what I'm saying? Right. Like me and him would go, me and him would go to lounges and go hang out, you know, or whatever and stuff like that. And we wouldn't really even talk about that. We wouldn't really talk about that. So I didn't really know, and I wasn't gonna like ever press him. You know what I'm saying? To like, yo, you sure what you gonna do? Like, I'm gonna be here for two years. Where you going? Like, I would never do that. You know, because it was bigger than that. And I'm like, I used to always say this, yo, whatever's best for you and your family, bro, you gotta do that. You know, I'm not going to tell you what to do. You know, I, I would tell anybody that if, you know, it wasn't like I never had a, you know, OKC is a great organization. I never had any coaches or gyms. Yo, you need to get close to him and see where he's going. They never did that. It was never none of that. We were focused on winning the championship. That was the number one focus. Now, in the back of our minds, I'm sure everybody was thinking about that. Not just the players, the entire organization, the entire city. And state of Oklahoma was thinking like, nah, he's not gonna leave. Like we, it was just in the back of our mind, but people never thought it was gonna, you know, it's gonna end like that. You know, so it was a tough pill to swallow at the time. But like I said, I told him, look, whatever's best for you and your family, you got to make that move, man. You know what I'm saying? But it was just shocking. But it is what it is. All right, so let's go back. 2004, North Carolina, Mr. Basketball. What was life like for you then? Man, life was great. All I had to do was worry about going to college. I committed early to Georgia Tech. Um, went to Charlotte Latin High School. 
um, you know, I was at a transitional stage. It was, it was kind of, I was just anxious. I wasn't really nervous. I just, I was glad that I, the first scholarship offer I received, I think it was my sophomore year. It may have been, uh, like Western Carolina, maybe something like that. And I was just happy to know that I was going to have the opportunity to go to school free. And I went to some camps and these guys had like 30 or 40 offers and they were thinking about going to the league out of high school. Some of these guys, even the younger dudes, like the, the freshmen and sophomores had 15, 20 offers. And I was like, I just need one. You know what I'm saying? Because everybody's acting like this is normal. I'm like, this is not normal in my family. You know what I'm saying? We had like two, three people go to college. So I was like, I need to work extra hard to get the opportunity. So by the time 2004 came around, I had already committed to Tech early. And it was like a weight off my shoulder because I knew it was a weight off my mom's shoulder. So I was looking at it a little bit differently than some of the other kids that was getting scholarships. I was looking at this like, all right, that's something I can check off the board. You know what I'm saying? And then I was playing at Georgia Tech. I was like, I'm going to go to Tech and play in the ACC. That's another check I can take off the board because I always wanted to play at, at, at an ACC school, you know, for a good coach. And, you know, so I was, you know, just blessed to be able to, you know, my, my high school coach, Jerry Faulkner, assistant coach, Donnie Fullwood, my mom, my pops. Um, you know, everybody, man. I had a lot of support in the city of Charlotte and from Charlotte Latin in my high school, my family, my friends. I had a lot of support and I just wanted to take advantage of it. And it was a great journey, man. It was a, it was a great journey. I read a quote about you about when that you said when you were in high school, the people didn't see you quote, helping my mom do little odd jobs, cleaning buildings, working for cleaning services, doing all kinds of stuff like that, and then going to the gym and putting in the work with my assistant coach at, at Charlotte Latin. I'm curious, yeah. what what were you thinking about your future during that time as you're, as you're you know, cleaning buildings and um, still working on your game? What are you thinking that your future might might hold? I wasn't even thinking that far. I was thinking, like, we're going to make this money so moms can finish paying off these bills for the end of the month. You know, it wasn't even – like, I grew up, like, my, my grandfather and my father had janitorial services. So they had janitorial – so it was about getting the contracts and the bids in different buildings. So as many as you could get, it was, it was better. So my mom had a couple, and we used to have to go to Concord, North Carolina, which is, like, the complete opposite of the city from Charlotte Latin, from my high school. So we played a game Friday night and, you know, the game ended at 11.30 or whatever. Uh, we get out of the locker room at 11.30. Mom used to probably be like, I hope he ain't got all these interviews or nothing like that so we can hurry up and get out here because we started saying, like, look, let's just go clean the building up after Friday's game. Even though we're going to get back home at, like, 2 a.m., we'll have the whole weekend to not worry about doing it. So I was like, that's cool. So I'm not thinking, like, this is going to be a story in the future. I'm just thinking, like, that's what we have to do right now. I wasn't thinking about, like, I'm going to end up being in the NBA, telling this story to my guys, Noah, you know what I'm saying? So I'm like, yeah, I wasn't thinking mm -hmm. that far, but it was just what I had to do at the time. But looking back on it, it was it's definitely, it was something that I, it was imperative for me in terms of just appreciating everything that I had to go through 
on and off the court to be able to get to this point in my life. So I cherish everything, you know what I'm saying? And I know it's guys that had to go through more that, you know, we were homeless at one point. I know guys like Jimmy Butler that, you know, he cherishes everything. That's my guy. I, you, I can really appreciate those kind of guys because I understand that to this day, you know what I'm saying? So, you know, it was it was one of those things where I didn't really think too much about it. It was just what we had to do. And, you know, it helped me in the future because now with my kids, they won't have to do that. But I can also teach them and tell them what I had to do just for us to have what we had. You know what I'm saying? Back then, it started back then at 14 years old, 15 years old. Just that that mentality and that work ethic. You know what I'm saying? How, how did you navigate? How did you handle homelessness as a kid? Well, it was like we I was like five or six, and we lived in Little Rock apartments. And if you know about like projects, like it's it's buildings, it's just it's buildings like separated by parking lots. You see mm-hmm. what I'm saying? So in one building, my my aunt lived. And then the middle building, it was a middle building. And then on the other side of that building, it was where my grandmother lived. So mom, at one point, we had a mattress that we were carrying from my grandmother's house to my aunt's house for a while. And in my mind, I'm like, this is all my family because this is really the whole neighborhood. We all know each other. Mm-hmm. So I'm thinking, like, this is not like we not like really, you know, and we start doing that like once a week. We going from grandma's house to auntie's house, auntie's house to grandma's house. I'm like, why do we keep going back and forth? And you know, mom's gonna make you sound sweet, you know, before she got settled, but she got right. Like my mom was always like a, she always figured it out until she really got up on her feet when I was about, you know, that lasted right there for about two weeks. You know what I'm saying? And then she figured it out and we ended up getting an apartment still on West Boulevard but she was able to get her own apartment. You know what I'm saying? And, you know, I just remember those days. Like, I, I said, Mom, we really didn't have nowhere to live. She's like, yeah. I was like, but I never felt like that. She was like, you're not supposed to. You mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? So that's why I was like, a le- like that's, that's a lesson right there. She protected me from that. You know what I'm saying? And it was like, you know, that's like something that you don't really understand till you get older. I didn't really understand that. And from my perspective as a kid and from her perspective, more importantly, from her perspective and how she dealt with that with me. You know, that's why I always show my mom utmost respect. I love my mom. You know, we we'll always see eye to eye, obviously, but I love my mom because of, she sacrificed everything. You know what I'm saying? If it wasn't for her sacrificing everything, I wouldn't have had the opportunity. She always told me, like, if I don't sacrifice for you, ain't nobody else, nobody else is going to do that. See what I'm saying? So that helped me. A lot of the fundamental things she taught me helped me on and off the court and now in every stage of my life, now as a parent. You know what I'm saying? Completely understand. Anthony, when you go to Georgia Tech, it's the year after after they played in the title game. And your freshman year, you're playing alongside four future NBA guys, Luke Schencher, Jared Jack, Mario West, Will Bynum. Also, Ismail Muhammad, who, if people don't remember, is one of the great athletes and, and players, really, and during yeah. that stretch. Um, mm-hmm. You're playing alongside those guys. How quickly did you realize that that you could play at an elite level? Uh, it ain't happened right away, I'll tell you that. 
<laughs> right away. The first couple, I mean, like the the pickup games. You know, I mean, just the. I mean, it it was the pickup games before the season started were were great. You know, and then the first practice, I remember they just like jumped on all the freshmen like a pack of wolves on us. Like they just, it was like the coaches just said, "Go get them." You know what I'm saying? And I loved that. But I just was, I was like, man, I got to work harder. Like, I'm like, because my, I was, I was always like kind of a late bloomer in terms of my body. You know what I'm saying? Like in terms of everything. I mean, I could always shoot. Like that was always something I knew I could do. But I was like, I got to get more like athletic. I got to get in the weight room. You know, I I just, I knew I needed to get faster, and stronger because the speed and the athleticism of those guys, it was unbelievable. But competing against, I knew in my mind, I don't know about the other freshmen who I love those guys, Jeremy Smith, Samuels Frederick, Rashawn Dickey. In my mind, I was like, if I compete against Ishmael, Muhammad, DJ Elder, Will, and Jared every day, every day, I can't run from nobody. You can't run from anybody. You got to guard one of these dudes every day. I was like, if I compete against them every day, even if I don't play much, when they leave my sophomore year, I'm not going to see anybody like them. You know, I'm like, well, I'm I'm going to be able, I'm going to have an advantage. But I got I to gotta get my ass kicked this year in practice every day, which is cool. I'm going to go right back at them and compete, and it's going to help me develop as a player faster. And that's exactly what it did. Cause it was hard, you know what I'm saying? But, you know, because some of them days it wasn't all friendly. It wasn't all, let me help you, uh, young fella. It was like, nah, I ain't telling them shit. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, it was, mm-hmm. it was it used to be days like that when we came in there and we was just going at each other. But I was built for that, though. Even though I wasn't physically built, mentally and, and competitively, I was I was built for that. So it helped me. And I'm still very close with all those guys, and they'll tell you to this day. You know, I just I, – I love the competition, and I love to be able to call back – you know, tell my friends and my cousins, like, hey, man, I guarded Will today or I guarded Jerry today. Mm. Or, you know, I I used to love calling them and, and tell them, like, how the practices were, how intense they were, you know. And it was it was fun to me. It wasn't fun in the moment. But at the end of the day, it was like, I know I got better today. I just guarded a first-round pick, a future first-round pick. You know what I'm saying? I got, a, I got my shot off against them. You know, I mm. guarded them. I compete against him. He kicked my ass. I, you know what I'm saying? But it's all right, though. I'm going to be better for it. You know, that's what it was like my freshman year. And it was it was fun, man. We, I, I mean, I, obviously, we should have been better that year, but we had a lot of injuries. But um, it was it was great. It was it was a good experience. A lot of your uh, contemporaries still rave about just how good Will Bynum was, and people don't have a clue about. He's still good. He, he, he seems to be the name that always pops up over and over again as like one of those most underrated guys of all time. Yeah. He's still good. I just played with him in the big three. He's still in shape. Yeah. He bleeds in basketball. In, uh, Anthony, 2008 NBA draft, you had played with all these guys that would go on to play in the league. Thaddeus Young, Gani Lawal, including the list that, that I named before, Jabbar Scrittenden. You go undrafted that night, and I read you actually fell asleep during the 2008 NBA draft. Yeah, it was like we were at my my teammate and one of my 
close friends to this day, Lewis Clint, he played at Georgia Tech. Him and um, his girlfriend was actually pregnant. They had, like, student housing, so they had, like, really nice suites for, like, family housing. If you was, you know, you was, you was at Tech. And it was me and my girlfriend at the time. She was pregnant with my daughter. And we just ordered some pieces. And we, when the draft came on, we watched. And after the first round, I didn't get drafted. And I just fell asleep after I ate. And I woke up. I didn't get drafted. And I called my agent while I was pregnant. And I said, it was basically like, so what now? And he was like, well, I got a team in Ukraine that's uh, ready to give you 80000 in a $10,000 advance. I'm like, okay, what are we waiting on? He's like, you know anything about Ukraine? I'm like, no, but I got a guard on the way. Like, I'm ready to hoop. Like, what's up? You know, <laughs> he was like, um, well, I got some summer league opportunities for you. So you got to go to, you have to go to Miami to try out for their summer league team. So Daquan Cook is going to showcase guy. Then they got the guys that they chose. And then he's like, you and a couple guys have got to like try out. So I was like, all right, cool. So I go out there. We wearing knee pads and elbow pads. I'm like, I don't even know if I can get a shot off playing football, man. You know what I'm saying? But, you know, it's Pat Riley, though, man. You know, it is Miami. It's nice. But after that, I, I worked – I probably worked the hardest I ever worked in my life before leading up to going to Miami. Like, that, that little grace period was, like, crazy. You know, I, I had a – they let me get a dorm at Tech after my senior year. And – my agent let me borrow one of his cars, let me borrow his truck. And he was like, these are your scheduled workouts. So I was working out. Shout out to Deion Glover, Daryl LaBerry, former Georgia State players, the trainers, coaches, and everything. They like mentors to me as well. And they were training me, and I would have to make my workout. So I was doing two a days, every single day, every single day, two a days. You know what I'm saying? And I would go back to the dorm. I had to go to Walmart up the street and get some sheets and covers and pillows. You know, I had to go get a TV, like a little TV. And I was just, it was either I was in that dorm or I was in the gym. You know what I'm saying? So I did that leading up to that. And that was the hardest I ever worked, the most locked in I had ever been. Because I was like, this is my opportunity right now. And if you don't make it, you don't make it. But you got to give them every reason, you know, to, to tell you you can't play. It got to be on something on their end. Can't be on my end. He didn't work hard enough. He wasn't in shape. That wasn't going to happen. You know what I'm saying? So, Daquan Cook separated his shoulder. And then I got an opportunity to play. So, it was Mike Beasley and Mario Chalmers in the pick and roll. I'm in the corner. They leaving me. I'm knocking it down. Last two games, I might have had 14. And the last game, I might have had 19. So, then I'm like, okay. You know, the, the Ukraine team, They you know, they upping it. You know, they upping the the, the pay now. So they're like, yo, we're going to give you like 90, 95. I'm like, all right, that's great. I'm ready. They were <laughs> like, no, nah, you got to go to, you got to go to, um, so that was in Orlando, some league with Miami. He said, you got to go to Vegas. I said, well, who? Golden State. I said, I just watched them, bro. They got like 19 people on the team. They're like, man, nah, don't worry about it. He's going to go out there. The showcase guy's going to stop playing. I go out there. I don't play the first game. It's my first time in Vegas ever. You know what I'm saying? So I'm just oh, in the Mandalay Bay looking out the window. No, I ain't had no money. I wasn't going nowhere. <laughs> I got the Xbox hooked up. I'm just looking out on the strip, seeing what's going on. You know what I'm saying? I'm mm-hmm. calling the homies like, yeah, look, I'm, I'm trying to show them pictures of the room and all that. And um, 
Second game, I, I play a little bit, had like four or six points. Then the showcase guys, C.J. Watson, Marco Bellinelli, shout out to them guys, love them. So I get more opportunity, I had like 14, and the last game I had like 22. So I'm like, they're like, yeah, we're gonna, they're going to, you know, your name buzzing, you know, um, you know, they're going to give you like 105, 110 now. So I'm like, all right, it's time to go. All right, I'll get back to Atlanta. You know, she's pregnant. Like, nah, you got to go to Utah. I'm like, man, what the what the hell is in Utah, bro? <laughs> they got the summer league in Utah, too. I'm like, bro, I ain't never seen that shit on TV. I said, you for real? He's like, yeah, you got to go, man. So, But he was like, yo, you're going to be showcase this guy now. And Don Nelson is like, just play. Mm-hmm. Shout out to Don Nelson. Rico Hines, Steve Silas, Keith Smart, uh, Sidney Moncrief, you know, but especially Rico and Steve, man. And, of course, Don Nelson. Those are my guys. They gave me the confidence. Steven Jackson, Jamal Crawford, Corey Maggetti, those guys, man. And I ended up getting MVP of that. And they gave me the Manila, the Manila folder at the end that was basically like a, a undrafted rookie deal. So... I signed it. I called my mom. She started hyperventilating. I said, Ma, it ain't like that. Wait, just wait. I could get cut. You know what I'm saying? Like, let me, I got to keep working. It's not like, you know, I'm just going to be out here for a little bit longer. Like, we got to pray mm-hmm. on, you know, I got to stay out here, you know. So, you know, I got the opportunity, man, and then made it through training camp. And, you know, that first start I had in, uh, I think it was in November against the Clippers at 37-11, man. And after that, I was like, it was just it just made me more and more hungry. I was like, nah, I wanna see how far I can take this. Like I don't wanna go home. I don't wanna go to Ukraine now. You know what I'm saying? So I gave him that ten thousand dollar advance back in. The rest was history, man. All right, so that's what I want to talk about. So your first four games, so you get signed by the Warriors. First four games you're inactive. You get a DNP yeah. in the next two. Next three games, seven points, eight points, eight points. Then you find yeah. out you're starting November 15, 2008, in L.A. against the Clippers, against Baron Davis, who used to play for the Hornets, and you grew up watching BD playing in Charlotte. Yeah. And now you get, that, you get that start. Did you have any sort of daydreams about going nuts for 37? Nah, I wasn't even like that. I mean, I, I always wanted to play against BD because – he was like a legend. He's a legend to me from how, you know, from the Charlotte days. I always tell him that too. But, um, I mean, it was, it was like, it wasn't just, it was him. It was Catino. You know, I wanted to play against all those guys. You know what I'm saying? That I had grew up watching that I, you know, I had a lot that I liked watching, watching them play. But a lot of people don't know Don, Don Nelson didn't tell me I was starting until like, until like that morning. Huh. So I, I, I went from, I was like, I'm probably not going to play a lot. Like, you know, I was, and I was young. I didn't, I wasn't in the club, but I was like up to like four or five o'clock in the morning watching like YouTube videos right before. Like, you know, I was just up because I was younger. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Up, got up, went to the gym, did my normal workout. And coach was like, you starting. I was like, all right. You know, I was like, I don't know if there's a test. I don't know if he thought I went out last night, got messed up or something. You know, I don't know, cause he, you know, coaches like that. Coach Coach Nelson was like, like he calculated like that. He he might do something like that. You know what I'm saying? But not to see you fail, just to not to see you fail. He's gonna put you in a position where it's like throw you to the wolves and just see how you react, especially if you're a young guy. So I could appreciate that. You know what I'm saying? And 
you know, I I went out there and, you know, it was more – I told people I felt like it was a pickup game early. I don't know if it was because of early game or what, but it felt loose, you know, and I hit, like, my first three shots. And then I came down. I remember I passed the ball to run the play. And Steven Jackson was like, what the fuck you passed the ball for? Give him the ball back. Get on the block. Get on the block. Don't worry about no – so I scored again. And then there was a stoppage. It was like a TV timeout. We went to the bench. And he said, hey, man, what you passing the ball for? You just scored three times, right? We're going to go to you again. Don't worry about no play. I was like, okay. I said, I, I said this day I told Stack. I said, Stack, bro, you don't understand what that did for me, man. You know what I'm saying? Because it wasn't like I didn't have confidence. But when the, when the best player on the team tells you, like, nah, screw the play, go to the young fella, the rookie, undrafted rookie. That's respect, you know what I'm saying? And it just, it did a lot for me. And that, that took my confidence somewhere else, you know what I'm saying? So I always show stag love on that. The, the, so the next year, after having a great rookie season, obviously, uh, one of the best three-point shooting seasons in history. I mean, you were you were remarkable. Um, first rookie in NBA history, lead the NBA in three-point three field goal percentage. And then Steph comes to town. I'm curious if you can tell us something, you know, you played with him before the rest of the world knew about Steph like they do now. So what's something you could tell us about Steph in those days that surprises you about what he's doing right now? What's something you saw back then that doesn't surprise you about what he's he's done over the course of his career? Something that doesn't surprise me is just, like, his ability to shoot the ball the way he does off. Like, it doesn't matter what kind of shot. Shot-making ability, that, that does not – I'm not surprised at all at that. Like any type of shot he can make, left hand, right, anything. That that didn't that didn't surprise me at all. Um, what did surprise me a little bit, even from I played with him his rookie year and he was great. He had a triple double that year. Um, I think he had forty a couple times, a few times maybe. So I, that didn't really surprise me. The confidence level that he gained moving forward. That was crazy. You know what I'm saying? It's like he got a piece, he got a taste of that, his rookie. And that's, that's I, I credit a lot of that, you know, no disrespect to nobody, but I credit um, a lot of that. That's what Don Nelson bring out of you. You know what I'm saying? He lets you be Ow. as creative as you want to be. I, don't, he, he, I mean, he looked at, he looks at basketball like it's art. You know what I'm saying? I felt I always felt like that he always let you do you. Like do you. Like whatever you do well, do it. And don't be scared to do it. I don't care if you mess up. He might cuss you out if you take a bad shot or turn the ball over. But he's not gonna tell you to stop. He's not gonna take you out of the game. You know, if you want if you wanted the guys, obviously. He's not gonna take you out of the game, he's not gonna tell you to stop. He's gonna tell you to do you. You know what I'm saying? And you know, the confidence level of that stuff had moving forward you know what i'm saying i was like wow that i wouldn't say i was surprised by it but the level that it went to he changed basketball literally in a couple years like teams had to start moving and trying to find these guys drafting differently all this you know he did that by himself basically him and, and you know and i give dame a lot of credit for that too you know for, for caring but steph was the first person i actually saw do that you know, so I mean, that was that was 
that was a little bit surprising that he changed the game of basketball because it's not it's a handful of dudes that did that. Not even a handful. You can count on one hand how many dudes did. So that was cool to see, especially from watching him grow up and you know us playing against each other, being cool for years, high school rivals, and then the seated like you. I look back like I remember playing against him in high school, and I, if I looked at him back then and be like, he's gonna change basketball, the entire game of mm-hmm. basketball. You know, it's just unbelievable. So it's it's a cool story for him, man, for real. Yeah, it certainly is. Has has Don Nelson invited you out to Hawaii yet? He said he was, man, but I don't know. I think he invited Steven Jackson in the, You know, that's what oh. he believes in, man. He, he closer to them, man. We was a young boy. Man, I think Coach Nelson, his hair down his back, man. He got the gray beard down, the gray long hair, gray beard. Just out there kicking it, man. Yeah, I'd say. I'd say he's enjoying life. When was the last time an NBA team called you to work out? Uh... Shit, Portland. That was it. I mean, some a lot of teams was reaching out, you know, asking am I still working out? Am I because it was like in season, so that was like the last probably Portland. It's probably been like a no. Nah, I was uh I think Milwaukee might have reached out. A couple other teams might have reached out, but we weren't really talking about nothing. What, like, when was that? Last year? Probably like last year or something. Last year, about a year, year and a half ago, something like that. How have you how have you handled that the whole process of, of an NBA career ending? I'm good. Like, I mean, the first like being cut was like different because I had never been weighed. And it wasn't like I got cut like, yo, you weren't good enough or you know, we don't we, we, we need a different type of character in the locker room. We don't you don't fit our character. As long as it was nothing like that, you know, it was like money and cap room and roster space and all that kind of shit, which is basketball. It's, it's the business. Of, it's the side we got to deal with. We make a lot of money. We're able to take care of our families. But then you got to – it's only a handful of guys that can really write their own story and write their own narrative. And most of the guys – most guys can't do that. You know, I was looking at Isaiah. I saw Isaiah got weighed by the Clippers, and I'm like – I want to see Isaiah get in a position, it don't matter what team, just to show that he can still play and still put up numbers and he can still be efficient. You know what I'm saying? So that whole situation with – I mean, this is an example. That whole situation with Danny Ainge trading him, mm-hmm. from a player standpoint, I'm like, I'm on his side. Like, fuck that. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I'm never going to trust again. I don't, like, I don't like how he did that. I'm doing specials on ESPN, talking shit. You know, but when you look at it from a executive standpoint, it's like if you got the opportunity to make that move, it's kind of genius. Why wouldn't you do it? You know what I'm saying? Right. So at the end of the day, it's like when you start feeling like you're one of those guys that's going to write your own story and you're not, it hits you harder. You know what I'm saying? Because he deserved to get paid, but deserving and actually getting it, what you get is two totally different things. And it's a thin line that the average fan – they don't understand that. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes we don't understand it as players. A lot of times we don't. But for me, I kind of saw the writing on the wall. And at the end of OKC, when I got traded to Chicago, I was like, you know what I'm saying? Like, this may be it. Like, I, I just thank God that I had obviously been well, been good with my money and 
you know, just was ready to kind of transition if I had to, still not thinking about it. But, you know, you see how God's story ends, especially when you're kind of a journeyman like me. You start going to two, three different teams mm-hmm. in two years. It's like, all right, you know what I'm saying? So, yeah, it is what it is, though. And now with the clothing line, own sense of style, what you're doing with Anthony Morrow Charities, and everybody should check that out, ownsenseofstyle.com, anthonymorrowcharities.org. Can you can you give us a little bit into how you're spending your time now? Well, clothing line, and shout out to everybody, man, that supported it too, man. Um, family, friends, athletes, uh, own sense of style, man. It's it's just a brand that I, I created um, with my 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 um my coworker Mary Francis out of LA and um it's just a dope line man just kind of as expression of you know you know just everybody owning their sense of style you know it's fun it's a fun brand it's it's kind of like a high urban fashion kind of look is what I was what I'm going for and it empowers ownership kind of in a double meaning you know what I'm saying it's own it you know so we want to empower ownership um you know within the culture just let's start owning more stuff right now you know so we can have stuff to pass on to our next to our kids and next generation so that's basically what that is at ownsenseofstyle.com at ownsenseofstyle on instagram and uh shout out to stuff katie iman shumpert um you know just to name a few man that of andre roberson just to name a few guys man that have supported athletes um and count is, is more i can't name everybody right now but thank you thank you to everybody um anthonymorrowcharities.org that's my foundation amo charities on instagram started here basically based out of where i'm from west charlotte west boulevard um and it's basically branched out so we all over charlotte and all over uh the carolinas and you know we nationwide we you know, shout out to the Players Association for, you know, their donations and their contributions. Shout out to the Big Three as well for their contributions. Shout out to the city of Charlotte, um, my neighborhood, Southview Recreation Center in the back of Little Rock Apartments. Everybody basically has, the, um, you know, supported every event. You know, we do back to school, obviously, backpacks. We do, um, obviously, Thanksgiving, Christmas. Um, foster children. We have Healthy Minds program that we put in place in in MLK Middle School, um, which basically is a non-clinical um, program to help kids understand, you know, when they're going through things and like whatever's going on at home, whatever's going on Instagram, bullying, you know, overwhelming, like, you know, having to deal with things at home that you shouldn't have to deal with 13, 14 years old. That's mm-hmm. something we take a lot of pride in. That's like one of our main programs. That's our main program right there. So we've done that the last two years. But I've had my foundation for 10, 10 years, going on 11 years, a 501c3. So really take pride in that, man. I really thank God for everybody that has supported, you know, that as well. Um, so it's fun, man. I'm a real estate Ventura, um, Ventura development partner. Shout out to my man. Rich Rich Nielsen. We got some properties we building in the hills in um in California in Ventura County. Hmm. And um 
just been working on all that, man. Got a podcast. It's the Life Podcast. My man, Justin Jack, Jerry Jack's younger brother. Mm-hmm. Uh, trying to be like y'all one day. You know, yeah. We gotta continue to get that. Gotta continue to get that together, though, man. We we gotta get time to be more consistent with that. But it's been great, man. We had Jared on there, obviously. Bridget Kelly. Um, yeah. We've had Wayne Two One Five from the Plastic Cup Boys with Kevin Hart, Will Bynum, obviously Rudy Gay. Um, just to name a few, man. We've had some great guests on there, man. But it's fun, man. I. I between all of that and my kids and my family, you know, that's, that's a full a, that's day. A whole day. Yeah, that's a full day right there, bro. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's incredible. Uh, your story is unreal to see what you came from and now what you're doing now and, and all that you accomplished in between. Before we let you go, we, we got some quick hitters for you. Um, and talking about that that childhood, where you come from. My son, Hudson, just turned three years old. I read that as a three-year-old, you were playing on your your uncle's team when you that the rest of the team was like six or seven. So, my first quick yeah. hitter question to you is, uh, you know, do I need to get my son on a six or seven-year-old team right now in order to uh, hey. to help him out? Nah, wait. I was four. If you can oh. get him on that three, is that's great. Yeah, I was four. It was a it was a it was a six another team, I think, and I was four. My mom was like. Yo, I don't care if you play him. He was like, I just need him to get this energy out. Like, just put him on the yeah. team. And my like uncle my put me on the team. Yeah, I got in the game and shot on the roll basket. I made it. And, you know, the crowd went crazy because <laughs> I was a baby. But, yeah, man, you can't – for real, seriously, though, know, because really since – well, when I got older, I always played up. So, like, from, like, 12, I always played up, like, A in terms of AAU. So I would play my age group, but then we'll play up. When you were playing at those camps in high school with a bunch of those guys who'd had 30, 40 offers, who was the guy that even a week later you were still thinking about, damn, that dude is that dude was good? Uh oh, um, I played on Sean Livingston. Mm. Shout out to Sean for what he's doing now. he retired and you know he's transitioning well, man, but Sean Livingston was unbelievable, man. Like for real. And in my, cause we had like, I'm the class of 04. We had, I, I mean, I think we had maybe 12 dudes, maybe more. I don't know the exact number. We had like double digit guys come out of high school, I think. Like we had a crazy class. Like it was, it was ridiculous. But Sean Livingston and um, JR, JR Smith. Mm. And early on, uh, like maybe a couple years before, I played against OJ Mayo when he was in like the eighth grade, and I was like, I was like, I can't believe. It. I was like, yo, I was like, bro, you really come on, you're not really in the eighth grade. And I was like, nah, cause he, but he sounded like an eighth grader. You know what I'm saying? He looked, he didn't act like an eighth grader, but you could tell he really was in the eighth grade. And I was like, man, like he played like an NBA player. Seriously, it was crazy. Yeah, some of those guys in '04 out of high school. So yeah, Livingston, Dwight, uh, Telfair. Yeah. Al, Al Jefferson, Josh Smith, J.R. Smith, Darrell Wright. Yeah. In my class, that that was a that was a that was the camp where OJ was a couple years back. He was really young, but I knew he was going to the league. But um yeah, Sean and JR, you know, those guys were it was it was just different. No, I shout out to all those guys. They were great, but 
me personally. I, I had never seen Sean Livingston play. I just saw him in Slam Magazine, and he happened to be my point guard at the camp. And I was like, damn. I was like, man, I don't even want to – I just want to watch him. <laughs> it was crazy. Sandal was – Sandal and Pat were pretty amazing in high school. I remember seeing him at ABCD. Well, uh, Anthony, yeah. since you're one of the greatest shooters of all time, some basic shooting technique stuff. A, what's your favorite drill to run? And and B, where on the rim do you look when you're shooting? Good question. Uh, my favorite drill, it's a couple of them, but um, I like doing drills where you, it's like footwork. Like I like doing, you set the cones up, like set the cones up in the corner, another one on a on a wing, kind of like on a like on a break, <laughs> and. You know, you might shoot one in the corner, and then you might have to do a figure eight around the cone at the break and then make a shot, and you, you do like figure eights. But it's really about how fast you can get your feet down. That was one of my favorite drills because I, I used to watch Ray Allen's footwork coming off screens, and he had like the quickest feet I ever seen. Like he, he used to – his feet were ready before the ball came. <laughs> So I remember him, I remember thinking like, and um, Steve Silas once told me, he was like, we got, we used to just work on drill, going into my my second year in the league, we just used to work on drills where he was like, yo, just get your feet down. I don't care, don't worry about, the shot's going to go in. Like, just get your feet down because you're going to get off more shots. You know, another guy, Vinny Bagvani in OKC. I know I'm, I don't want to leave nobody out, but. Vinny was like that in terms of the drills, too, when I was at OKC. We used to come up with just different random drills. I got a drill where I start off facing the opposite direction, and they'll throw the ball to me and, and say, you know, go or something, or give me the signal to turn around, and I just got to have my feet ready. My feet ready, and you got to shoot it on, on the catch no matter what. You know what I'm saying? Mm. And we started just building off that. So, like, I like drills where you start off simple and then you just build. You keep building. You know what I'm saying? But I look at, uh, in terms of the rim, I try to look at the back part of the rim. Because hmm. that always reminds It's like, it reminds me, shoot right at that, but don't, but you got to get it up. You got to put some, you got to put some trajectory on the ball. You can't shoot it flat. You know, because when I was growing up, I had to change my shot a little bit. Because in high school, I was the tallest. I was a center, basically, but I wasn't no center. So, like, in, in college, you know, you got six, six, seven, six, seven guys like Ishmael Muhammad jump out of the gym posing out to you. I had to start getting it off faster, and I had to put more arc on it. So I was like, I look at the back of the rim and shoot it higher. So I had to train myself to start doing that, you know, because I shot too low. I kind of shot from my chest a little bit, and I didn't realize it. But I didn't realize it because nobody was like, it wasn't like it was a lot of guys my height that would be able to close out and get to my shot fast enough. Either you were too short or you was too big and too slow. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So that, was, that was just little things. But basically it's just, you know, I try to tell kids it don't really matter. Um, it's not, don't think too much about little stuff like that. Just play basketball and realize like what you need to do to adjust and have different gears and turn that's with anything but like i knew when i played against tony allen that i was gonna have to get my shot off really quick because mm-hmm. i don't know he was 
his defensive instincts is the best I've ever seen in my entire life. Like, he was blocking my shot, but he was seven feet away from me. You know what I'm saying? That's he crazy. Would yeah, he would close out so fast, and he, he knew he wouldn't get the block, but he would get enough of the ball to, to, to throw it off. So it was crazy because it was like almost like how a great base runner gets a big lead off, you know, and you think like, oh, I'm open. You know what I'm saying? And on the, on the swing of the pass, he already said, I got tipped. I would shoot it. He would tip that shit, and I would airball, and he will be out on the break getting a dunk. And that shit would happen like once or twice when I played against him. So I started doing that drill where I would catch it really high, and I would keep it high and shoot it. You know what I'm saying? And I had to work on that because I was like, those guys, you got to be able to get that shot off because you can't not – you can't play 26 minutes and get one three off. You know what I'm saying? You got to still be able to get five or six threes off. You right. got to make you got to make them guard you closer. So that Russ and Kev got lanes to get down, get downhill, and get to the rim and get fouled. You know, so that was an adjustment I made, and it really helped Russ. Well, KD had left by that at that time, but it really helped Russ. I feel like because when he drove to my side, nobody was leaving, and once he get downhill, it's either a dunk or a foul. You know what I'm saying? Hey, but who talks, who talks the most trash in the big three? Uh, shit. Gary Payton, probably. Somebody didn't even play. <laughs> GP talks shit, Of course, man. of course. <laughs> GP, uh, who else? It wasn't that bad. It wasn't that bad, man. Um, well, that's no fun. I mean, it was, it was I mean, we all talk, because we, it's the big three. Like, I don't, I'm not really a big trash talker like that unless you talk Mike Taylor talks shit but he just talk a lot in general but he was backing it up though he can play I like Mike uh shit I played Josh you know Josh he talks shit to anybody referees the crowd anybody Josh Uh, Smith yeah yeah Josh talks shit Josh uh, I still can't believe the Pistons are paying him (laughs) crazy yeah man hey look I told Josh, I'm like, man, it's unbelievable. I said, man, look, man, you know what I'm saying? Like, I, that's one of my closest friends, like, in life. You know what I'm saying? I was like, man, maybe I should have been an asshole more, bro. I would have got paid, man. <laughs> <laughs> but you still get paid by the Pistons, man? God bless you, boy. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But, nah, man, Josh is great. You misunderstood, but. That's that's my guy, man. For Didn't real, Wallace Prather wasn't he his uh, AAU coach? Yeah, Atlanta Celtics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Wallace Prather, uh, uh, the chief, my agent's dad. Yep, yep. Our agent Wallace Prather the third is our agent. Yeah, but amazing, yeah. amazing. Uh, before we let you go, Anthony, we um, this is the Rejecting the Screen podcast, so we always ask our guests. One guy that you played with or against, can't say MJ if you ever met up with him, but one guy that you would choose to reject the screen and go ISO in a critical situation when you need a when you need a bucket. Probably KD. Hmm. You talking about the history of basketball or just like No, no, him? just a guy a guy that you played with or against. Oh yeah, KD probably. Okay. Katie. Yeah, that'll work. Look at that. Yeah, we come full that. circle. We start with KD. And we full circle. KD. Yeah, my guy, man. Shout out to KD. <laughs> Anthony's friend. But check the tweets. 
Yeah, for real. All right. All right. Follow Anthony everywhere at Mr. Anthony Morrow. Amo, I really do appreciate it. Thanks so much for the time, pal. Thank you, man. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. You were great. Thank you. I met Anthony when at Sirius XM NBA Radio. We'd had him on as a guest, and he came in the studio with a few of his friends at one point over the summer when he was, I forget what year it was, but he was still a free agent, and he had his his mom with him, and they were going shopping in New York. And, and just thinking back to that time, Adam, and then hearing the stories of his mom saying, all right, we're taking the mattress over to your grandparents or taking a mattress over to your aunts and, and being a parent and understanding that you don't want your child thinking that anything is wrong. And the fact that his mom was doing that, was able to accomplish that in dire circumstances is terrific. You know, after he signed that first deal with the Warriors, he was living in a hotel Hadn't mm-hmm. bought a place for himself yet. Bought his mom a new condo and a car, and he helped out his dad. And, and when when you hear that, and then you hear him talk about where they came from, and just this idea, I thought that I'm going to take it with me now. Like I, It's one of those moments that I'm never going to forget from a guest that this idea that just because the situation seems so extreme and must have been so difficult for his mom, the idea that he wasn't privy to it in a way, she shielded him from the optics of it, if you will, mm-hmm. like is, is just awesome. So credit to uh, Anthony Murrow's mom. That's a great story. Yeah. He had a heck of a career that, I mean, the, the thing that I think basketball people, you know, people who really, who really know the game will mention first about Anthony Morrow. And, and the reason we didn't bring it up was because I think the story has been told so many times was his 47 points in summer league. That was his, and that was in the second summer league, not the first one when he was going from Miami, Orlando to Vegas to Utah. And then, man, his first start dropping 37. And then three nights later in his second start, he had 25 against Portland. It was, uh, it, it was some, it was some career for Anthony Morrow. So we appreciate you all listening to the Rejecting the Screen podcast. Every Thursday we go ISO, a long form interview with anybody and everybody connected to the NBA in some way, player, coach, media member. That's on Thursday, and on Tuesdays, it's about 25, 30 minutes, the two of us talking hoops and a little bit of life. You can follow Adam on Twitter, at NaismithLives. I'm at Noah Kozlov, C-O-S-L-O-V, at LockedOnNBANet on Twitter and Instagram. And we're on Instagram now, at Rejecting underscore the underscore screen. We're trying to build that account as well, so we'll see what happens. Adam, <laughs> thanks, pal. You're the best.